Bienvenidos. Welcome to episode 58 of the Jacobin Sports Show. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the character Marvel calls he who brought sexy back, Jonah Birch. Jonah Birch, you have, the better question is not where have you been lately, but where have you not been lately? And I find it particularly interesting, and I don't know if this is coincidental or not, that all of your travels have been taking you to historically hated sites of Boston Celtic opponents. Was there anything planned in that sense, or did you just happen to end up in Los Angeles and Detroit completely apart from from that? History? It was it was a, it was an accident. I I will have you know that I on the one hand passed the Staples Center and gave the finger, you know, which I'm sure everyone noticed. Uh, I did get invited to to observe the LAFC uh, training oh, nice. session in LA by friend of the show Will right. Will Kunz. Yep, assistant general manager of the LAFC. So I, you know, I'm like watching Chiellini and 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 Bale. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Among among other stars, so that up, up close do run run one touch drills and get pissed at each other and then you know give <laughs> give each other hugs it was it was delightful uh, i went to detroit though i did not go to auburn hills the site of you know many many a, a bad moment uh yep. Yep. you know uh which is 45 minutes outside of detroit mainly i was there ostensibly i was there for a wedding in detroit uh but really i was there to celebrate and mourn the passing of mid 20th century American capitalism, you know, <laughs> at the, out at the headquarters of mm-hmm. the industry par excellence of, of 20th century capitalism, the auto industry. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I went to the, we, we obviously drove by the general motors headquarters. I did want to go to the abandoned Hulk of Ford's famous Highland park plant. I didn't get to do that. Hmm. Nor did I get to go to River Rouge, which I've done once before. At one point, the largest factory in the world, which oh, wow. I, I think it had a hundred thousand workers worked within it at, at, at it for a time. Also, a, a center of in radical left-wing industrial unionism. UAW Local 600 was a a communist-controlled union local, very known as a very kind of progressive local. So uh, you know. Still is, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I missed out on yeah. the factories. But Detroit is, you know, what the American Petrograd, right? You know, it's a it's a city, a real city. It's an interesting benchmark too for like if you want to follow certain sad trends in American business and sports. Like I think Detroit for sure is the best example yeah. because they went from <laughs> the Pistons specifically went from playing in an arena named after Joe Lewis, which was in downtown Detroit to yep. the so-called Palace of Auburn Hills, which is a Ridiculous. suburban... In Oakland County, yeah. Now Little Caesars Arena, they've run the gamut of, like, noble noble title to gross, like, racist dog whistle title to named after, like, the lowest pizza on earth title. Um, and they're and owner, I'll just say, like... Yeah. Yeah. All right, no, go ahead. You... The owner made his, yeah. the owner has made a lot of money. I think his name is, I can't think of his name. Illich, now. Illich, Mike Illich. Illich. Um, yeah, isn't that? He, or he owns the hockey team. I think he does. He own the Pistons. He, um, I think he does. Whoever owns the Pistons makes a lot of money. 
Um, Tom Gores. Tom Gores. Tom Gores. Thank you. Runs a main. He's like a major owner of the telephone companies that charge exorbitant rates for inmates to speak with family um, or to speak with anybody. Like the 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 rates for what phone calls. If you don't know this, when someone's in prison, like the call, the the price per call is like insane. And Mike Gores makes a ton of money. Tom, sorry, Tom Gores makes a ton of money off of that stuff. So, um, I mean, he, you know, he runs a private equity firm headquartered in Beverly Hills. Does I didn't know that. I, I just like, <laughs> there's no way. Oh God. Yeah. Whatever. But remember, like, and his real name is, is he's born in Israel. He's like, <laughs> uh. He's born in Israel in a Catholic, to a Catholic family of. So you can't trust this person. You can't trust this person at all. This may, oh, maybe he's Palestinian. Oh. This makes anyway. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so glad you survived Detroit. Uh, glad you yeah. enjoyed Los Angeles as well. We have missed a ton of things um, since our last episode, and today's going to be, I think, a real cross section. We'll do a little basketball. I have baseball and football to ask you about. And we will touch on irrational early season EPL feelings. But I want to start with um, just a quick drop on two of the big stories that, that occurred while we were gone. Um, two major passings of 20th century sports titans. One obviously being uh, Vince Scully, the voice of baseball and the voice of the Dodgers since the 50s. Um, for about 67 years, he was their announcer. And then, of course... Yep. Maybe the biggest story in the last couple of weeks, which was the death of Bill Russell, um, and I believe eighty-eight years old. Which among Bill Russell's, you know, we can talk about all his accomplishments on and off the court, but big men don't tend to live till they're ninety. Like that's incredible. Um, just another accomplishment of his that may never happen again. You just don't, you know. So obviously, as a Celtic fan in particular. Um, I'm guessing this resonated quite a bit with you. Of course. <laughs> Tell me your what, what do you have to say about Bill Russell's life, Bill Russell's passing, Bill Russell. I mean, should we start with Vince Scully because I have a lot more to say about Bill Russell, obviously. I think open with Russell because I think he's the biggest story. I think as big um, as Vince Scully is, I think Bill Russell is like the number one story. I guess the one thing that I wanted to say that hasn't I feel like hasn't been said enough is that in some ways, he, you know, from from my perspective, I mean, of course, just an incredible player and a historic figure. Uh, I, I did see, by the way, I should I I want to qualify something. This is a bit of a tangent. I saw someone say that along with Muhammad Ali, he was maybe the uh, most impactful, a basketball person, a sports person, say, okay. celebrity in the civil rights movement of the nineteen. 19- um, 1960s, and I, we should just say that's just that's just wrong, right? I mean, like, just to be clear, and just because, and we should talk about the more, but people like Harry Belafonte were actually yes. significant political players, like not just symbols, but organizers yeah. and fundraisers. Key yep. meetings happened in Harry Belafonte's house or Dick Gregory. Like these were mm-hmm. genuine political figures who. You know, and and someone like um, Bill Russell was an important figure and more of a symbol, you know, like in the, I mean, who did very important stuff. 
Um, it, from from the perspective of what he represented basketball wise, he really embodied the split between the Celtics and Boston in the sixties and the you know like, mm-hmm. and a very complicated split. I mean, people were fans of the team, but uh, you know the stories about how he was tortured and the racist attacks on him and all the uh, the bigotry and the vitriol that he faced and. He was basically like, fuck Boston, and I love the Celtics, right? I love the Celtics, and he was so close with with Red Auerbach. I mean, they were such a dynamic partnership and and duo. Uh, And, you know, uh, it's just an interesting thing to to think about. And obviously, Celtics, uh, and and he embodied this, the pioneer organization when it, it came to Mm-hmm. you know, racial equality in, uh, in basketball. Now, basketball-wise, and it sucks, you know, there's just not enough footage of yeah. players from the 60s. There's not enough footage of players from the 70s, but really in the 60s, there's yeah. just so little of it out there. And, and I think we really suffer for that, you know, and not having enough of a sense of, um, you know, what he was capable of doing. Again, like I saw, I mean, whatever, trolls on the internet who were like, you know, he couldn't even play in a rec league today. And and that's just ridiculous, obviously. I mean, Bill Russell was an incredible athlete. Go back and watch some of the stuff that he was doing defensively. And, um, I, you know, in some ways, he was way ahead of his time as an incredibly mobile athletic big man who would have been amazing uh, both offensively and de- defensively on the pick and roll, uh, you know, today. And, um and and w- w- was capable of, you know, even then with all of the differences and, um, you know, in uh, in terms of training and equipment and support and, you know, w- w- was capable of of doing things on the court that were decades ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. He wasn't just like a stiff who stood around no. the basket, you know like looking to scout, you know, you know, grab rebounds or, um, and that, that wasn't his game at all. Um, you know, and I think if, you know, it was a different era for the league. So obviously today he wouldn't have been averaging 25 rebounds a game. Of course, he also wouldn't have been shooting 45% from the field. Right. Right, You know, um, it was a different game, but I, I, I do think that, um, you know, it would be such a mistake to underestimate him. And then just, I mean, the way they won and the, the way he dominated Wilt Chamberlain, and he did dominate him, you know? He, he really dominated him uh, for, for years. Uh, and particularly, I think, that last championship he won as a player when they finished in fourth place in, was it, 69? Uh, uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. and then won the title was a testament to his you know, just the, what, what he meant for that team his leadership, all of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, a, a great player, a, a great figure, obviously a very historic um, figure. And I'm glad that, um, you know, I'm glad that he is, is, has, I feel like in recent years, he has gotten his due more somehow than mm-hmm. he had for a long time. And that's true in Boston. And that's true in the NBA, I would say, you know, that, that, People are more cognizant of uh, what he represented for the game. There's a statue of him outside of Boston City Hall, uh, which was, you know, put there in, I want to say 2014, 2015. But, um, you know, and people I think have been going and visiting it. So, and, and mm-hmm. putting stuff, stuff up there. So, you know, and that, I, I think that's, um, I think that's really important. 
you know? Yeah. Any critique of Bill Russell's athleticism is, is asinine and epitomizes like people who can't think beyond whatever's happened in the last five minutes. Um, the year he graduated from college, uh, track and field news ranked him as the seventh best high jumper in the world. Not college, not America, like in the world. Um, he won high jump titles. Um, he tied, there was a man named Charlie Dumas who won gold at the 56 Olympics. Russell tied him um, when he went against him head to head. This is a guy who, I mean, you don't need to defend Bill Russell's legacy, but 10, no, years, of course. 10, 10 years in a row, he averaged more than 20 rebounds a game. It's a different era, lots, but like, so covering the Knicks, I've had occasion to cover to watch like some really old games, games from the '60s and '70s. Um, so I've seen like Will Chamberlain. If you watch Will Chamberlain in a game from like 1970, he looks like you were saying, like he looks like someone. There are there are moments where Chamberlain does something where he doesn't look like he is of that time. He looks like someone who was could could be later. Bill Russell. There's a there was a picture I saw the other day of Bill Russell blocking a Knicks shot at the backboard while he is literally over. jumping over a second nick to do it that's yeah, yeah. that's just I athleticism that. is athleticism that transcends time yeah, yeah. um yeah, the instincts the everything i did not know until reading a lot of the eulogies and histories of russell that his retire that the the situation with the boston fans was so negative to him that his retirement his jersey retirement was private it was a private ceremony yeah. and that he really didn't come back to boston um like he really didn't Until come much back later. Yeah. He came um, back. He said he wasn't going to come back. And then he finally, he came, he came back. I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it was 30 years later. I mean, he came back as an announcer, I should say. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. You know, like he was on those. If you listen to some of the broadcasts from the early eighties, he's on some of those. Mm-hmm. He came back as a coach. He was a coach uh, for uh, Seattle after he coached the Celtics. Um, and I think he lived in Seattle the rest of his life. But then he like came back and was sort of honored mm-hmm. decades later, you know, and then look, this, it's a different, it's a different city. It's a different time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, by the two thousands, it was very clearly a kind of a different city, but it was, it was of course terrible. What happened to him, the greatest winner, the greatest player that the, the team and, and, you know, the city had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, um, you know, it's egregious. Again, I, I really, so it, it's not just, I mean, it's the athleticism and you're totally right. We don't need to defend Bill Russell's le- legacy, but the athleticism was, was part of his game. He, he, he was a, he was not a big guy. Like he was, nine, I think, I think he was, the story is, I think he's listed at six ten, but really he was six eight. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think he had long arms, and so probably his reach was pretty long. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was such a mobile big. So, and so the athleticism, I mean, he would get the board, start the break, and then was able to outrun people and, you know, and finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and you know, they were a fast break team in the 60s, right? Sure. I mean, they were a push the big team. They ran people off the floor. They ran people off the floor. I mean, that was really the game more than their game more than anything. Mm-hmm. How people don't see that that in some ways it prefigures the modern era, right? I mean, there's there was no, no 80s three Lakers line. if there's not the 60 Celtics. Totally. There's no three point line. So the spacing thing is going to be different, yep. right? And 
the game is all about putting up a million shots, but they were a push the pace, you know, push the pace team. It was revolutionary. It was the transformation of basketball from the 50s, from those Minneapolis Lakers, George Mike in all white teams, right? That were that were about the set shot and you know, the tiny low scoring games, the pre-shot clock era. And now they're just they're going up and down the court. And if you see any video from that time, you see how fast they're moving. Everything is about moving and getting a shot up quickly, right? You know, so mm-hmm. anyway. Also I, I think that should be emphasized. Also to which you hear a lot about, but to remind maybe people who don't know about it, Russell's IQ um was off the charts. Greg Maddox used to talk about and was celebrated for this. I remember an article about Greg Maddox back in the late mid to late nineties when he was just destroying people. Greg Maddox is one of his catchers talked about how Maddox gave up a home run. I think it was to Butch Husky, who was a Rocky at the time. It was nine. It was late, meaningless. Braves are way ahead. Butch, Butch Husky. X-Met, wow. X Met Butch Husky. Um, X Met X Red Sox. Yes, yes, X Red Sox. He um, Maddox gave up a home run to Husky. And in the dugout afterwards, the catcher uh, assumed that, like, Maddox would be upset or something. And Maddox told him, like, he threw a pitch that he knew Husky would hit for a home run, knowing that when he faced Husky later in a significant situation, Husky would remember what Maddox had thrown then, and Maddox would work against that. So he would use it against the hitter, which is thinking, like, so far ahead. The Bill Russell technique, and it's it's still celebrated as this, Bill Russell's ability to not only dominate defensively, but his ability to to think the game, so turning shot blocks not into whacking the ball out of bounds, but turning a shot block into a turnover for his team, into transition. Russell talked about specifically in his matchups with Wilt Chamberlain, there were times he would let Wilt score because he wanted Wilt to be satisfied a bit. So the next time they met, Chamberlain wouldn't be like hyper motivated to destroy Russell. He would let him score some points. So Wilt was more settled in his performance. So the next time they met, he wasn't getting Will Chamberlain, you know, at his most ferocious. He was getting a milder Will Chamberlain. That's yeah. Brilliant. That is brilliant. And can, can and, I ask you a question? Both of those stories sound like the kind of things people say. I what who am I? I am not a star right. professional athlete. I'm just okay. Okay, Greg Maddox, you gave up a home run to book fucking Husky, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I gave him that home run, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dude. Who knows? But I, I like the Russell story, so I'm going to keep that one. Uh, last question for you. I want to know if you were aware of <laughs> before we move on from Bill Russell. Um, I'm going to give you one, two, three, four. I'm going to give you five nicknames for Bill Russell. Um, and you tell me which one was not actually a nickname for him. Okay. Okay. So first we have Russ, Bill the Hill, Willie, the Stuffer, and Whiskers. Wait, what? Say, say, okay. Here are the nicknames again. One of these is not a nickname for him. But four of them were Russ is one. Number two. Well, that was definitely a nickname for him. Yes. Number two is Willie. Number three is Bill the Hill. Number four is the Stuffer. And number five is Whiskers. 
Okay, Whiskers is so fucking weird that that must be a nickname for him. Okay. Is it the stuffer? It's a trick question. Those were all nicknames for Bill Wilson, <laughs> including the stuffer. But Whiskers are called my eye. That I had never heard before. Um, speaking of things we never heard before, uh, I want to talk just quickly about Vince Scully um, because the first year of my life that I really followed any sport intensely closely was 1986. Um, when the Mets went on to win the World Series that year. And in the 86 World Series, um, even though it was between the Mets and the Red Sox, it was broadcast by Vin Scully. And I was, you know, very lucky as a kid that the Mets had, they always had great announcers. They had Ralph Kiner. They had Tim McCarver on the radio. They had Bob Murphy. The Mets always had amazing announcers. And in the playoffs that year, in the National League playoffs, oddly, it was Keith Jackson who called the series, who later became the voice of college football, but Vin Scully did the World Series that year, and even as a almost eight-year-old child, I was so struck by his command of the scene. He wasn't, he really was on another level. He wasn't an announcer who just tells you what's happening in front of you. And, and baseball announcers are famous for being storytellers, but this was a storyteller <clears throat> on such a different level. Um, he cared about language. He cared about the stories he told. He cared about the viewer's experience more than he did anything else. Um, I think the Dodgers would have been a much more hateable franchise growing up if Vince Scully had not been just, it gets, you know, treasure gets thrown around a lot, but if you cared about baseball, um, especially in the, in the 20th century at any point, um, and even into this one for about 15 years, Vince Scully, you could listen to, all day. I can't turn on a base like basketball. I can watch any two teams. It doesn't matter. I'm not usually going to watch any two baseball teams play, but if Vince Scully were announcing the game, I could listen to it. Vince Scully was um, just really a jewel of a, of a voice and a, a perspective. And then there, there's some classic calls, right? I mean, the Kirk Gibson home run comes to mind, you know? Well, the first classic call that comes to mind for me is the Bill Buckner, um, Slow roller, gets by the bag. Go fuck yourself. Here comes night and the Mets win it. Um, Go fuck yourself. That's such, so good. So good. And and what's really struck me. He was, he was from the Bronx, right? Wasn't he from the Bronx? I thought he was a Brooklyn I'm kid. I thought, he was a, I thought he was a Brooklyn kid. Um, oh, maybe he was. He was. Well, he was born in the Bronx, it says. It? Okay. Okay. Um, I grew up in Washington Heights. He grew up in Washington Heights. I feel like that was a different Washington Heights when Vince Scully grew up there. Um, but what do you mean? What do you mean? You're, he's a, from the famous much, Dominican, I don't Dominican know how much, Scully's. I don't know how much mo, mo, Mofongo Vince Scully grew up eating. Um, Fucking love Mofongo. Love so Mofongo. When I lived in Inwood, yeah. um, just where Manhattan hits the Bronx, very Dominican neighborhood, and there were a bunch of Mofongo joints. And you just can't go wrong, like, any time of day, any mood you're in. I don't want to get away from Vince Scully too much, but Mofongo deserves all the praise. Um, it was very interesting to me this week, particularly, and this happened last night, ESPN was broadcasting the Dodgers and the Padres, and the announcers could not, they replayed when Scully's call, maybe this is the most famous Scully call. I know he called the Don Larson perfect game in the 56 World Series. He also called Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run. And if you remember that call, Scully highlights, uh, a, he specifically says, a black man in the Deep South 
breaking the record of this like all-time revered white athlete and on ESPN they're all gushing over like wow like the perspective and everything he's bringing to it and Vince Scully in that call is doing exactly the opposite of what announcers at ESPN are allowed to do today ESPN is a very public like you know stick to sports no politics basically as long as it's leftist politics and Vince Scully is on you know TV giving you the whole and it's being celebrated and I kept hearing like Michael Kay who's a jackass I kept hearing all these sports figures celebrating Vince Scully's class, what a gentleman he was, all this gravitas and perspective he brought to baseball. None of these people practice what they celebrate, not a single one. Um, so that just struck me that there's something odd about hearing someone canonized for something that their successors are dead set against doing. Um, is just a little weird to me. Just a little weird to me. Um, yeah. You think Michael K is a jackass? I do. Uh, because I've heard enough of Michael K's radio show to know that Michael K is a jackass. Oh, yeah. I haven't listened to it enough. Yeah, you're, um, not, you're not missing anything. This is a, uh, another tangent, but can I... So, did you ever see the, the episode of Michael K Presents where he interviews Larry David? Some of it. And uh, and Larry David is a great guest and he asked him about the Trump hat in season 10, the MAGA hat or whatever, which okay. is just, I mean, season 10 of Curb Your Enthusiasm is not as good as the earlier seasons, but that bit is fucking hilarious, right? <laughs> he wears around the MAGA hat because he doesn't want it. He doesn't want to socialize with people. So every time he wants to get out of a social event, he puts on the MAGA hat. You know, and, and Michael Kay is like, do you, do you regret like doing it? And he goes, I could give a fuck. And it was kind of a funny, it was a funny moment. Yeah. Larry David. Yeah. Anyway. Trust me, the farther you dig into Michael K, the, the more you regret having. The less, yeah. yeah. He, he wouldn't want to start. Speaking of regrettable human beings, this has just been killing me this week. I don't know if you saw the Pete Rose story out of Philadelphia. Um, Pete Rose, who was, quote, banished for life um, from Major League Baseball, somehow got permission to join the Phillies for a celebration of their 1980 um, World Series champions. And and Pete Rose, who hasn't been in an official major league function in forever, really since he was banned, was there. That's striking enough. Then a reporter named Alex Coffey, um, she writes for, I think, the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, asked Rose, I didn't know this either. I know Pete Rose is a jerk because my dad tells me, when my dad was a kid and he would hang around... Um, Shea Stadium, when the, the Reds would come to play, he told me how, like, every single Red would, like, happily give an autograph, except Pete Rose, who not only wouldn't sign, but was, like, literally a dick to children about it. Like, Pete Rose wasn't having anything. And, like, whatever. Maybe that's a bad day. But there's a story I had not heard before um, that Pete Rose uh, had... He had sex with a a, a girl in Ohio who was underage and Rose's defense was that he thought she was, she was 14 and Rose thought that she was 16 and Rose was in his thirties at this point. Um, and he never got, you know, in trouble for it. And when this reporter coffee asked him at the event, um, if he thought anything about the signal that's sent to the girl or survivors or whatever, uh, Rose's response was something like, no, I'm not. That was 55 years ago, babe. babe I'm not here had, to talk about that. You had to put the babe in there, too. Just, like, 
just to remind you like what a what a scoundrel this guy is. So <clears throat> I saw a lot of headlines that said something along the lines of, you know, um Pete Rose denies, you know, Ali or ignores the headline should be why is Pete Rose there? Pete Rose every like, single... You know what's funny? Yeah. Yeah. Go. I, go ahead. Say it. Say what you're gonna say. Every single opportunity Pete Rose has ever had to come clean on anything, he has continued to lie, to lie, and to lie. And somehow, I, I got to look into this more. I don't understand how he got access to this event, and then how I I, I don't know what to say about these. I, I don't know what to. I mean, to say Pete Rose is a jerk doesn't is not really news, but it's not only what you did was disgusting. It's not only disgusting that, like, now you're like, ah, it was so long ago, it doesn't matter. As if the girl it happened to hasn't quite possibly carried a lifelong of of trauma and afterwards with herself. But to call the reporter babe is really, like, basically almost bragging about it. It's basically like, you know what? I was a misogynist then, and I still am. Yeah, so his defense of this was that... um he thought she was 16, which was Ohio's, the, right. stat, you know, the minimum, and that they never had sex outside of the state of Ohio, right. which is not what she said. Yes, exactly. At all. Exactly. Like, I, I, I got to be honest, like, when he retired, or not when he retired, when he was banned, yeah. you could see how that felt like a harsh punishment at the time, you know, by, wasn't a ban issued by... It was Giamatti. Uh, Paul Giamatti's father. Yeah, Bart Giamatti, who died very soon after it. Um, and people have yeah. always said that the stress that he experienced probably contributed to whatever ended up killing him. Um, that's funny. But <laughs> like, you're just like, this dude is a fucking scumbag. Like, He's the worst. You know, like, He's he the just worst. has turned out to be a scumbag in every possible way. And all right, I, I don't know, like, okay, you were, you were, you were basically like committing statutory rape with like a child in the mid seventies while you were married with two kids. On the one hand, I'm like, I don't know, like, you know, (laughs) like, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it was like a long time ago. And like, I'm not here to judge people's, personal lives that seems really fucked up though she was a kid she was a teenager but i'm know? sure the man cheated on his wife with a teenager with made, a sure, made yeah. sure to stay That's loyal to that teenager when he wasn't in ohio and just waited till he came back to be with her again i'm sure that's what happened yeah yeah so i i'm just like i, I just can't fucking deal with him like no. what a piece of shit I gotta say, what are the Phillies doing? It does feel like of any sport. Like I, I don't know why I have this impression. God, baseball contains the greatest number of scumbags. It does you know, of historical scumbags. I'll support that for you right here. Here's a great historical what if that supports your point. In '93, the Phillies lost a very entertaining World Series against the Toronto Blue Jays. If you remember, those Blue Jays were heavily favored. They were the defending champs. They had Roberto Alomar, Joe Carter, um, 
David Cohn. They had brilliant players everywhere. And the Phillies were kind of this ragtag, like John Cruck was on the team. Um, you know, they didn't look like they were kind of early forerunners, I think, of the Boston the idiots. Um, a lot of just like we don't care kind of oh, yeah. <clears throat> but that Aaron team, Dalton and yeah. So here's the thing. And had the Phillies, had the Phillies won in ninety three, yeah. not only would they be celebrating to this day Pete Rose, that team featured Lenny Dykstra. Yeah. Go Google Lenny Dykstra arrest record. That team featured Kurt Schilling. Yep. That team featured Darren Dalton. Go Google Darren Dalton if you don't know how his post. Oh, it was one of the scummiest, and this is for baseball. This is saying something. That was one of the scummiest teams ever put together. And the Phillies were that close to winning and having Rose, Dykstra, Schilling, Dalton in their, like, Philly Hall of Fame, which would just be, like, the most disgusting <laughs> circle of honor in sports, I think. Let yeah. me let me let me let me pretty things up a bit before we move on from baseball. I want to know, Jonah Birch, what you, as a Red Sox fan, are feeling about the incredible meteoric rise of the Steve Cohen New York Mets, the enemy of your enemy in New York City. <clears throat> Same record now as the Yankees. Swept the Yankees two games to none, took four or five from the Braves. They just got Jacob DeGrom back. Max Scherzer's ERA is below two. Pilonzo tied with Aaron Judge, who nobody can shut up about for the major league lead in RBIs. But I'm curious, as a Red Sox fan, you have no loyalty to the Mets. You need nothing from like I always feel a certain <coughs> Red Sox affinity because I hate the Yankees. So I like the Red Sox. Does that apply to you at all with the Mets? Yeah, yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, 86 throws a crimp in that, but... Yes. It, overall, for sure. I would root for the Mets over the Yankees, definitely. Mm -hmm. Very yeah. good. I've done, this wasn't a test, but that was the correct answer. Um, oh, good. Just a couple more subjects. We'll get away from baseball for a second um, and actually go to the NFL. About, I, I, I feel like I'm missing something maybe here or... I don't know what to make of this. You saw the Kyler Murray story with Arizona and with the clause that they put into his contract and then later removed about film study. Yeah, I so, didn't see it. If you're listening and you don't know, um, Arizona gave Kyler Murray a 200-something million dollar uh, contract extension, I guess. Um, but, and I've never heard of this before, they initially added an addendum to the contract that said that Murray had to do, I think, four hours of film study a week. Um, and it raised a lot of, of attention and controversy for some people, and the Cardinals ended up removing the addendum from the contract. One of the people who was very offended by it and spoke openly about it uh, was Warren Moon. And if you know Warren Moon, uh, one-time great NFL quarterback, uh, he played first in the, I think, the CFL before he joined the Houston Oilers, um, that famous run-and-shoot offense, prolific, unprecedented numbers for the time. Warren Moon had been a, a tremendous college quarterback who was one of the most obvious victims of, well, he's black, so a lot of teams don't believe that you can actually trust him at quarterback, and he ended up proving them wrong. Warren Moon has spoken very openly about how he thinks that clause in Murray's contract is not only offensive to Murray, but that it harkens back to um, the stereotype and, and that, that black quarterbacks aren't as intelligent or capable of playing the position. 
I understand yeah. 100% why Warren Moon is coming from there. But I feel like I don't see it's hard to say this as a white skinned person and feel like it has any credibility, but I don't feel like Arizona gave Kyler Murray $200 million because they don't trust him or think that he can do the job. I think they probably did it because he's probably gotten by on his talent so far and there's a limit to that. And maybe they feel like he needs to crack down and study more. But when I say that, I, I feel inherently just like guilty. And am I, am I understating or underestimating an issue that is probably still going on? You know, is it possible for Warren Moon to be not wrong, but not right in what he's saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see how it's a bad look and it yeah. doesn't, you know, um, I, the, the truth is we have no idea what goes on behind the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. And they've, whatever, flamed out, right? And uh, obviously the, there's some kind of concern about why and what that means and um you know, but like you say, you don't give someone two hundred million dollars if you don't, you know, if if you don't think that they can they can play, right? I mean, like if you don't trust them, uh, would be my, you know, takeaway. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I see why it's a bad look. You know, I do. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. For sure. For sure. Um. Speaking of bad looks for some teams, the English Premier League began. I can't believe that they've already started. I always feel like EPL could take another month off and I would be fine. Um, but they started up again. First season, the first week of games is now complete. Um, some of the good news around the league, Man United lost to um, Brighton 2-1 to one in their opener. Um, they've got drama with Cristiano Ronaldo going on. He did not. He did not start in that game. I don't know if he played, but he definitely didn't start. He seems to want out, but there's no big teams really interested in him. Um, yeah. Liverpool drew with, was it Fulham? I think. Yeah. yeah. Liverpool yes, and Fulham. It was not drew. a good start. But, I mean, knowing Liverpool, like, that literally, other than City, that may be the only points they drop all year to anybody in the league. They never seem to lose to anyone else. Man City, of course, behind the awesome debut of Erling Haaland, two goals. To the good, defeated West Ham 2-0. Um, what are your... I guess I have two questions for you on this upcoming season. What are your expectations for what Liverpool pulls off and who do you think finishes top four? I'm presuming you have City and Liverpool already in there. Um, so really... Oh, let me ask you this. Do you think any team can pass City or Liverpool? Yeah, I mean... I, I... The answer right now is no, uh, but uh, of course not. <laughs> like the answer is no. Uh, t- you know, going into the season, Tottenham looks interesting. People are really trying to push Arsenal. Arsenal looks vaguely interesting. Chelsea's made you know, some interesting signings. Yeah, although yeah, and has some, yeah, Over, they overpaid, yeah. but they got Cucurella. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, we'll see what the Chelsea defense looks like, and um, I, you know, it's a rebuilding, basically. Mm-hmm. 
by the way, there's a the Chelsea and Tottenham play next week, right? Yeah, I believe um, so. Yeah. But um you know, but of course you, you assume that City and Liverpool are gonna be the top two teams. Great win by Liverpool in the community shield, always an important <laughs> barometer of nothing, but uh it was you know, Nunez who scored scored this week too against Fulham. You know, I think people are very optimistic about what he That guy's awesome. He's so good. What? He's so good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I like the, like, injection of, of youth in Liverpool's squad, mm-hmm. right? And what mm-hmm. that could be a harbinger of for the future. That was a terrible fucking tie against Tulum, but Fulham. They played terribly. And City is going to be a unit, you know? And Holland is going to be a unit. Um for Liverpool, you know, would you rather, if you could only win one, would you rather win the league or the Champions League? Oh, I I would rather win. Well, I think I would rather win the Champions League this year. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, City would definitely rather win the Champions League. So here's a uh, weird thing about that. I, I was just reading something about that. You would, I feel that way, and you would think so. But I know there's major uh, antipathy between City fans and. Uh, UEFA in general, um, for a lot of reasons, and I was reading in the in some British pieces this week that a lot of City fans, at least in England, would still rather win the league. Not not a majority, but there's a number of City, probably more than you expect, would be fine winning the league and not the Champions League because that's how much they hate like UEFA and everything that goes along with it. Um, yeah, but I would rather see City win the Champions League. Um, yeah. And I really, you know, as long as United keeps doing what they're doing, I'm fine. I'm very, very yeah. fine. Yeah, yeah. You're just excited about the failure on the other side. I'm so excited. So excited. Yeah. Um, speaking of also exciting, my last point of the day. My favorite basketball player is not a New York Nick. Is not Donovan Mitchell. It's not anybody in the NBA. These days, my favorite basketball player is Sabrina Ionescu of the Liberty who just became the first player in WNBA history um, to put up, oh God, what was her milestone? I think it's it's 500 assists, 500 rebounds, and I think 2,000 points in a season. Um, the Liberty have been on a, a very nice late season, and they just lost a very disappointing game to an undermanned Phoenix team, um, but still the Liberty have a shot at the playoffs with a couple games left. And Ionescu is just, she's incredible. She's incredible to watch. She's so young. This is only her yeah. second season in the league. And she is she is something else to watch, man. I love watching that, that, that kid play. She's so good. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You got a favorite yeah, WNBA cool. player? I don't right now. No, no. I should. Favorite team? Good. Well, the thing is, there's no Boston team. Yeah, what is so, that about? I mean, there's a Connecticut team. Can you root you know, for this? Can you root for a Connecticut team? Uh, not after what Mohegan Sun has done to my wallet. Were you were you, you know? a big Hartford Whalers fan growing up? No, I mean if, I was never a hockey person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, yeah. I was I was never a hockey person. Um, I did like, in retrospect, you know, the Whalers fight song, obviously. I believe it's called Brass Bonanza. 
Look it up. Uh, famous. Uh, in fact, can I play it on the... How do we play it right here? I'm going to play it on my... If you can here. find it, go for it. Let's let's see how this works. If 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 this is (laughs) Hold on, wait. it just keeps going because it's a brass bonanza. Like the whalers themselves. Yeah. Wait, oh wait, you gotta wait for the interlude. I don't know if that's gonna play on the podcast. Anyway, uh, it will because I'm thinking of making that on our intro music. So really, but, I I think you'll have to pay someone for it. You know, I don't got the Hartford Whalers don't exist anymore. I'm not paying nobody. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I wonder who owns the rights. Where did they did they become the? Who did they become when they moved? Uh, the Hurricanes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, they had some really good players. They did. They were a weird you know, little team. Uh, they were a weird little team. Ron Ron Francis. Um, Pre Pittsburgh days. Yep. I don't remember who else. <laughs> to be honest, I don't remember who else. Honestly, I'm, I'm impressed you pulled out Ron Francis. I couldn't remember a single whaler. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I was in New England. That it's Connecticut. It's not the same. It's not the same. It isn't the same. That's true. <laughs> That's true. All right. Well, anything uh, anything else on your mind you want to get into? Or are we done for the day? No, but I, at some point we have to talk about baseball. Can I be honest? We have to talk uh, more about the Mets. And yes, so I see your Mets Braves tweets and shit. <laughs> I, I just got to say, and this is fucked up. This is so sad to admit. I don't think I've watched a single inning of baseball this year. If the Red Sox were 30 games over, do you think you would have? No. No, I don't think I would have. What has happened to me? Let's be honest about this. This is like a sign of kind of adult adult puberty. Everybody, every adult at some point has to stop watching baseball. It's just a it's No. Just, it's just it's, a rule. they start watching baseball. No. Is that true? They every start. everyone I know who was a crazy I just saw when I was on the line and I saw my friend uh Sessa. Shout out to Sessa Romero. Grew up across the street from me, huge Yankee fan. We would play baseball in the street against each other. We would watch the Mets and Yankees together. I saw him this time, and and at the time it was before the Yankees went on this little dip, so they were still like on this record-setting pace. They're doing incredibly well. I asked him a question, about, and he's a huge sports fan. He doesn't really follow the Yankees because he just, he doesn't have time. Because to follow baseball, it's not the same as really other sports. There's so many games, and it's yeah. so saturated that like it's hard to have any kind of a life and responsibilities as an adult and follow baseball. Like I love the Mets, but since I, um, since I separated and moved out, I have seen, I've heard the Mets on their radio a lot on the internet. I haven't seen a single game. I can't. Yeah, I don't get their channel. Yeah. On we get the house I'm in, doesn't get the Mets channel. Um, when I was on the line for the month, I didn't get any cable. So I'm following them in the box scores. I'm following them on the radio, and this is, 
<laughs> best year the Mets have had in 35 years. I can't watch yeah. it. I can't watch it, and I want to. So if the Mets were, you know, six games under 500, I don't think I would. I don't. I can't imagine I'd be following them as much. You don't need to feel guilty. That just proves you have a life. Good. That's okay. Good. You are you're perfectly good. It's when you drop basketball that you want to like see your primary. No, no, no. My basketball fandom has only increased. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I, I'm still. Here's the one other thing I wanted to talk about today. Let's return to the Brittany Griner thing. Yes. Because we had a very like short discussion yeah, yeah, yeah. about this question. Do you think if she was a male star, like if she was played for that, you know, in the NBA instead of the WNBA, right? She would be back right now. Now the answer, of course, is she wouldn't be there in the first place, right? Is right. the truth. Right. She very true. Very true. She wouldn't. But the 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 question is: Has the Biden administration not done something they could have done to and, and to to bring her back? And here's my here's my concern about this. Can I just say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that it's easy for us on the left when we have all these criticisms of people in power to look at every single thing and say that terrible thing is happening because they don't give enough of a fuck. Right. Right? Right. Now, sometimes that's true. And sometimes, you know, they're profound, often they're deep, powerful interests at work that shape government policy. And and sometimes they just, what the fuck are they going to do? And this is one of those situations where given the geopolitical reality, I just don't know what what they could do except maybe what they're going to end up doing, which is negotiating some kind of swap. I suspect two things. I suspect if Brittany Griner were, I don't know, um, Joel Embiid, let's say. I think the monkey wrench, like it's it's easy to say if, if it was a male, they'd be home by now. I do believe that if it was an NBA star, there would have been more pressure applied immediately because I think there would have been more public outcry. Like, I don't know if the government either way would decide to try harder if it was Griner or a man, but I think there's more pressure on them if it's a man than if it's Griner. And I think also that what gets kind of missed in this is that you're dealing with Russia. Russia doesn't care if it's an NBA. Like, if it was, I don't think Russia would be any more lenient if it was a male star than Griner. So I suspect if this was Joel Embiid, he'd still be there, not regardless of the American government's efforts, he would still be there because Russia would want to flip him in like the best deal possible and put as much pressure as they could publicly on the US government to make something happen. So I don't think Griner is there because the government doesn't care because she's a black lesbian WNBA player. I think she's in prison because like I've told you, I think on the show, I don't think this is the first off season that Brittany Griner brought vape cartridges into Russia. She got busted yeah, this course. time because of everything else. Do I think from day one, the U S government like made this a priority? No, but I don't know if they would have done that with an NBA player either. Um, but I do. And what difference would it have made? That's the I thing. Mean, look- I don't know. I don't know how to measure <clears throat> like if, if this were an NBA star, the public outcry and backlash would have been much quicker, much more 
intense. I don't know if that would mean anything, but I think that energy would exist and maybe color the way that we perceive the story. Um, but I still think this is less about who Brittany Griner is in terms of identity politics or occupation. And sadly for her, this is more just about she's a nationality and a, and a trade ship. And a male yeah. would be the same thing. Yeah, in a context of this, right? Of like, anyway, yeah, of a situation which the Russians were looking for a trade ship. This you know? is has this ever happened before? Where a sure. a, a, a prominent well, a, a pro athlete, I don't know, I get has no. been missing a year of their career because they've been a political prisoner somewhere. Unless you want, I mean, you could say Ali was a prisoner of his own country. But no, no, I know, but you're talking about something else. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that. Let's let's look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reader. Yeah, maybe I'll look. I'll do some research on this and see if we get into it yeah. next time. Because maybe there's an example from other countries where it's happened too. Yeah, yeah. And I know there's been hockey weirdness. I know they came. Russia did some ugly stuff towards uh, Artemi Panarin on the Rangers. They tried to make his life and his family's life hell. But he was still in the U.S. when that happened. Well, I'll look into that, and let's, let's see what we can find for that. Um, Sounds good. All right. That is all for episode 58. Please, if you have not yet subscribed to our Patreon, don't be the reason communism can't work. Sign up today. Patreon.com slash Jacobin Sports Show. It's got to be Patreon. you got to stop calling it Patreon. I don't know what to call it. I never – It's tell me it's you... Patreon, motherfucker. Patreon. 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 Stop. Pronouncing things correctly. Patreon. What's funny is that usually if I'm not sure how to pronounce a word, my brain defaults to Spanish. So for a while it was yeah. pa- Patreon, and I was like, that's yeah. not it at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, Patreon also... um, muerte. Patreon <laughs> muerte. Patreon <laughs> muerte. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jack and Sports Show. You can also follow us on Twitter at Jack and Sports. And email any thoughts or questions you have to jacobinsports at gmail.com. That is all for this week's episode. Jonah Birch, enjoy your forays into the great wide world, and we shall um, be in touch soon.